This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode 452. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast. I am your host today, Jacob Paulson. I'm joined by co-host, I think he calls himself like substitute co-host or something, but uh, by our own producer and firearm trainer, Matthew Merrister. Hello, hello. Glad to be here with you, Jacob. Yep. Matthew is uh, tagging in from Columbus, Ohio. I'm based here. In, I'm in my home office right now in Colorado in the Denver metro. And the weather is good. Fall is here. And I'm excited to talk about our topic today. Yeah. And I'm in my bunker, as you said, in Columbus, Ohio. Um, yeah. And I'm uh, ready to go with your topic, which I said in the pre-show here that I was excited to talk about, but I really am because I did some research uh, after you proposed the topic, and I, I, I kind of started digging in deep to the to the uh, the thought behind all this. So it's a pretty interesting yeah. topic. You can go it's really be deep. Fun. Yeah, now, guys, we're going to talk about the value of visual stimulus and compare it a little bit with auditory stimulus when we talk about how we train and do our practice for firearm training. So it's going to be exciting. First, our sponsor message. Yeah, we have sponsors. That's how we pay the bills so that we can get away with doing this. And today's sponsor is the Range Tech Shot Timer. It'll become more evident toward the end of the episode why that's today's sponsor. It does correlate very closely with the topic. The Range Tech Shot Timer is awesome, not only because it's the cheapest shot timer on the market by far, like by 30%, but also because it's the only shot timer on the market that gives you a visual stimuli, among other things. And so that's going to become relevant in our topic. So check it out. Learn more about the Range Tech Shot Timer at rangetechtimer.com. That's R-A-N-G-E-T-E-C-H-T-I-M-E-R.com. All right, Matthew. So auditory versus visual stimulus. So here's where this really began for me. Uh, I was sitting in on a class. I did not sit through the entire class. I was at an event and, and I just was able to poke in for a while. A class that was being taught by Brian and Shelley Hill. And they, uh, many people probably know them in, under their brand, the complete combatant. And they were doing a drill, uh, that I think is very unique to them. I, I don't know other firearm trainers to do this, but they do these image based decision drills where they bring the, uh, student up to a, a, a firing line, a table of sorts. And they, the student has access to a variety of tools, flashlight, the gun, of course, live gun on in, in holster, right? Uh, pepper spray. Um, yeah, stuff. And, and the, the instructor will flip over a card that has a picture on it. And this picture could be anything. It could be like a scary looking dude in a hoodie in a dark alleyway, or it might be someone like holding a knife, like trying to, you know, slice your throat. It could be, you know, whatever picture. And the idea is that the student sees this picture and then makes a decision in that moment about what to do. And the decision might be like nothing. This decision might be to walk away. (laughs) I'm just like, I'm good. Like all you gotta do, it might be a verbal command. Maybe you just need to say something to this, this person staring at you in this, in this image. Uh, or maybe you need to shoot. Maybe you need to draw the gun and deploy and get it done. Maybe you need to put, put lead in, in, in your target. So it's kind of an interesting concept. And it got me really thinking because the, the idea here is that, we train a lot as shooters to hit hit targets and hit targets quickly under various circumstances, right? One-handed or around barricade and cover and while seated and stuff. But we don't do a lot of training and actually making the decision. And we see this certainly in, in, when we do our justified saves episodes, when we look at you know news stories, we see people who they 
they may or may not be competent with the tool, but they seem incompetent and making a good decision under pressure quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you you kind of hit on something that we've talked about um, in the past about you know, training and, you know, we'll, we'll watch videos and you can watch it on John Correa's channel. Um, you can see videos and not everybody that's using, uh, their handgun in defensive, uh, use, uh, is, is highly trained. I mean, in, in inevitably there's a higher probable, higher, um, number of people in those videos that are not, I would say, uh, above average training wise, right? Like they may go to a concealed carry class and that's it. And so the argument is, well, if these people are able to defend themselves and they don't really have a lot of training, why do I need to train? Because, you know, I'm probably shooting somebody three yards away, four feet, two feet, whatever it is. And I can shoot, I can shoot a human sized target fine. Um, but what you just hit on is what we've really been trying to, I think in the last five, 10 years in, in, uh, handgun training, defensive handgun training is to, to work in decision making under, uh, that time hack, right? Like putting pressure on you, trying to, um, uh, make you make decisions because it's those, that's where you see, uh, good training. Like if somebody's that, that good training comes out, right? Like, so if you see somebody in a shooting and they're moving and they're, they're, they're performing a magazine change when they need to, or they're, they're getting behind cover or they're moving while they're shooting, or they're making the decision to shoot, or maybe I move and get a different backdrop and then shoot. Those are all decision-making things that are hard to train. And so, um, just like you said, we, we wrap ourselves around squeezing the trigger and sights and, and that's how, that's what shooting is. And it's, that's really, you know, almost, you know, a tenth of what really goes into making, uh, surviving a gun, a gunfight, really. Yeah. I, I see it in almost like three stages, right? Stage one is make the decision about what to do, right? So this, if we were doing a perfect simulation of this, this would be, uh, I'd be sitting behind you at the at the training facility, whatever it is, gun range, sure, Matthew. And I would say, okay, uh, when you hear the beep, um, I need you to, to, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a scenario, and I need you to decide whether or not you're going to pull a knife, pepper spray, gun, or if you're just gonna run in the opposite direction or just shout at these people. Beep, go. Oh, th- you know, and I I provide some sort of stimulus, and you have to make a decision. So that's like the stage one of this process is the the actual. Uh, training your your mind to actually be able to be concise and decisive, right? And 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 make that decision quickly. And then you have what I would call you know step two of that that process, which is the ability to uh, shorten the actual reaction time. So to me, those are separate things. One, like the skill of decision making, but two, getting uh, making training my brain and body to have a shorter reaction time. So the, the, from, from, from decision being made to actually executing on my decision, that, you know, shortening, shortening that gap of time. And then third, obviously, is the actual execution of whatever it is I decide to do. You know, if I decide to run away, it's me like running quickly. <laughs> if I decide to shoot, it's me being able to like get the gun quickly and put shots on target accurately uh, in that, in that short period of time. And so I think that we we generally only focus on phase three in the firearm industry, which 
which is, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong, by the way, about I, I, getting really good at phase three. Uh, clearly, if you follow our channel and our content, you know that we think it's important to be good at phase three. But we, we forget that phase one and phase two, those are also skills that have to be developed. You have to v- develop the skill of making a decision, but you also have to develop the skill of responding to that decision quickly. Uh, and, and you can't do this in just a firearm training environment because, uh, you know, if you say, okay, you know, here's the drill, you're going to draw, you're going to, you know, put one shot, two shots here in the body, the one in the head. Do you understand the, the, the course of fire? And I say, yep, I, I understand. Okay. Oh, stand by, you know, and I, I get all prepped. And in my brain, decisions already been made. I already know that the decision is to shoot two here and one there. So that, you know, no skill development in decision making. And when I hear the beep and I go, Okay, now I am I am working on reaction time, so it's good that I'm practicing that part of it. But here in a second, and this is really going to be the main focus of our episode today, am I focusing, am I training the proper reaction time or not? But I, th- I think understanding kind of those three phases of the defensive encounter are critical. First, make the decision. Second, you know, train the fastest reaction time possible. And then three, have the skill to execute whatever you're going to do. Right. And it's, it's super important. I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of segue us into, um, what we're talking about because it's a perfect opportunity to kind of talk about how do we get that stimuli? Like what is the reaction? What causes us to respond? Right. And if you look at shootings or self-defense encounters, um, typically it's not an auditory beep. Right. Like I may, I can't say that I'll, I'll rule it out, but I'd be willing to bet that there are not many, um, self-defense encounters where somebody uses their firearm defensively and the preparatory command is shoot a ready standby. And then they hear a beep and pull out a knife. Right. Like that's not typically how it works. So how does it typically work? Um, it's normally a visual stimulus that you notice something, you see something, um, something gets your attention and now you're reacting. And so um, the difference between a visual stimulus causing us to go into our decision-making process, do we shoot, do we move, what are we going to do um, versus an auditory stimulus and, and how do we do that? Yeah, I think that sometimes we have to understand the science behind this a little bit. Otherwise, this whole thing sounds like pointless because I think that the intuitive thing that most of us would uh, assume is true is the reaction time is reaction time. And if I train my brain and my body to have a quicker reaction time to whatever stimulus, then I have better reaction time. Like reaction time can be improved with training that there's endless science about that. Like your ability to see or hear or, you know, receive some sort of stimuli and react based on that stimuli that can be improved with practice. But the, the key point of the science here that I think we're missing or that most people may not intuitively you know, assume is true is that you, your, your ability to react to a visual stimuli is a different skill than reacting to a audit, an auditory stimuli. Meaning if I practice a lot shortening my reaction time, right? Or, or, or better increasing my reaction speed to auditory stimuli, like the beep of a shot timer, then that's great, but it has no bearing. It has no impact on my reaction speed for a visual stimulus. 
It's a separate part of the brain. A separate part of the brain interprets and receives that stimulus, audio, auditory versus visual. And so if I get really dialed in and really speed up my, my, my reaction time to visuals, to auditory stimuli, it has no impact. It does not improve my reaction time to auditory stimuli, uh, to, uh, to, to the other one, whatever I said first to the visual stimuli. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because, um, you know, like I said, in the, when you propose a topic, I'm like, I don't know if we can talk about this for a whole episode. Right. But then I started kind of what interested me is how does what is the difference? Like, okay, we do know that there's a difference between a visual stimulus and and an auditory stimulus, right? Like, okay. Um, And physiologically that happens to everybody, right? And so no matter how much you train, no matter how much you do this or that, um, physiologically, the, when I I started looking at these studies and physiologically um, the visual stimulus um, takes longer than the auditory stimulus. And, um, this was across the board, um, through many different studies. Now, um, what was interesting that I thought was, what was pretty interesting was that, um, through training, uh, the more, uh, and I won't quote the whole, go through the whole, um, uh, you know, testing research. research, Yeah. The summary. Um, but basically what it was saying is if you are more, um, athletic, if you're, you're practicing, if you're working out, if you're doing things that regularly engage your muscles and regularly are having your brain send, uh, you know, the, these messages to your nerves, to through, through, uh, your nerves to these muscle groups and forcing you to do these skills, then even if you're not doing that exact skill, you become faster yourself. Um, through visual, you know, to either visual or auditory stimulation. So that kind of underscores, Hey, let's get out and practice. Even if we're not, you know, while we're practicing our draw, it's actually helping us to be quicker, not just on the draw, but quicker picking up our sights and quicker doing this and that. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Cause, um, Mm -hmm. it's an athletic, type thing. It's a, it's a, if you're sedentary, um, your, your, your body doesn't have to practice doing these things. And so whatever you're doing. Um, so I thought that that was pretty interesting, uh, you know, in in the study that that kind of came out. Yeah. And and there's the reason there's so much research. This someone might be like, Oh my gosh, there really that much research on this topic. Yeah. Because of sports, Mm -hmm. sports have driven this area of research because, you know, it matters, you know, if you're making millions of bucks chucking a basketball into a hoop, apparently, um, it really matters that we understand the science of how your your brain reacts to stimuli, uh, visual versus auditory. And this this matters because what this means is if I play basketball and I work on drills where someone like chucks a basketball, I mean, I have to like react quickly to catch it. That's improving my reaction time to visual stimulus, and that will actually improve my shooting uh, when I react to a visual stimulus with shooting. Like the, the brain, the, the way you practice and train your, your reaction to stimuli universally speeds up your reaction time. And I think that's what you're trying to say, Matthew, is that, that like sure. ultimately you, what we need to train is responding to visual stimulus. Now, I think doing it specifically while we're training firearm or self-defense related things is, is bonus and awesome and helpful. But it's, it, the, the key is to understand that speeding up response time to visual stimuli is a independent, unique skill 
to be worked on. And, and speeding up your response time to an auditory stimuli is its own unique and independent skill to be worked on. And that's, that's kind of the thing that we're trying to communicate. So I, I wanted, I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned that auditory stimuli is not very common or not as common in a defensive encounter. And I certainly think that's true, but we do sometimes get auditory stimuli, but it's almost always matched with visual stimuli. And I think this is important to understand because, because if you're listening to this and you think to yourself, well, you know, maybe the person, you know, says to me, I'm going to slit your throat or I'm going to bash your head in, or, you know, they, they give you some sort of verbal threat. That's definitely an auditory stimuli. That's a go signal to do something, right? To react. But I, I got to ask, like, if, if you were blind and had a blindfold on and all you had to go on was that auditory stimulus, would you take it as seriously or would you react the same way? And I think the answer is probably not. Uh, most of the time in defensive encounters, visual stimuli is, you know, is, is the real true go signal. It might be paired with auditory you know, uh, a stimuli, right? Like I might see someone just approaching me in a dark parking lot and just the visual of itself all by itself, it may not fully, to, you know, prompt me to act. But if it's paired with the audio of them yelling at me, then I'm, I'm reacting based on both, right? I'm both hearing and I'm seeing. So sometimes in defensive encounters, it's the combination of both audit, auditory and visual stimuli that gives you the go signal. But, but almost never it's auditory by itself, it's almost always visual only or visual plus auditory. And that's why we're saying that we need to really focus on increasing our rea- or, or speeding up or decreasing our reaction time to visual stimuli. And we basically don't do that in our community today. Uh, we, we just don't. Yeah. And you make the, the point, you know, that I, I pick up what you're saying is that, um, you know, so you're walking down the street, you're a concealed carrier walking down the street, you hear a car backfire. It sounds like a gunshot. You don't pull your gun out and just start shooting in the direction of the gun or direction of the, the, the sound. sound that sounds like a gunshot, right? You have to confirm. So whenever we're, even if it, even if we, you know, hear this auditory kind of cue, we still have to take in the visual stimulus and say, does this, does what, what's going on? Do we need to shoot it? How many times can we shoot it? All, all, all these things have to come in through visually. And, you know, so um, I think this is why people like using moving targets and they like targets that turn. And, you know, whenever you get uh, opportunity, whenever I've had an opportunity to put students through um, shooting, and uh, on the range and and we can use moving targets, whether they're moving laterally, you know, front and back, f- turning. The experience is always the same. They always say this is so much better than just shooting a stagnant target. And it's because of that visual stimulus. Like, you know, I could say, are you ready? And, you know, when they when that tar- target turns then that's the go, right? Like, so that's the signal and it's more realistic. And I think naturally, instinctively, we kind of know that in our brains. And so we kind of cue into this and it feels more realistic and therefore we're more engaged in the training. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And th- and frankly, there's a lot more ways we do this than might initially sound off, right? Like, yeah, our, our traditional scenario is, you know, the instructor stands behind the shooter and gives an auditory command. Uh, and that's what we're used to. But we actually do do a lot of visual stimuli kind of stuff. Think of like uh, shotgun shooters, clay targets. That's that's a really common example sure. of visual stimuli, right? Waiting, you see clay pigeon flying out, boom, you react. And right. really good skeet shooters, 
their ability to shorten the gap, right? The response time from brain recognizing stimuli to getting on target matters significantly. So that's that's a common way in the shooting world we use visual stimuli. You mentioned moving targets or you know targets like you know they're almost like layered and one kind of slides out or something. You know those are also visual stimuli. Um, you you could also just like manually create a lot of things. Like I could stand behind you at the firing line and be like, I want you to move. Uh, I want you to go when you see movement. I could chuck a pop can in front of you over your head or something, you know, like I could, I could have a laser pointer and like shoot the target where you see the laser dot, you know, and I could like move it around like, you know, like, like you're a cat. Um, <laughs> I could, you know, whatever. Like there, there's a lots of ways we can simulate it. And I think there's a lot of opportunities to do that. Another thing I was thinking about is martial arts. Um, think about martial arts. Like when you train sparring with somebody in a martial art, you're almost exclusively going on visual stimuli and it's, it's constant. Like it's this constant reaction. Oh, they're doing this. No, I need to do this. Oh, they're doing this. I need to block here. Oh, they've let that guard down. I need to strike. And so your, your brain is constantly taking in visual stimuli and reacting. And we, we've, you know, that's a great way to, to, to improve response time to visual stimuli is to be in a martial art. Yeah. It, you know, and it's interesting. I, I, I was kind of going through this and trying to figure out, you know, because I always feel like, um, and, you know, maybe some of the listeners are, uh, feel this way too, that, you know, when I'm, when I'm shooting or when I'm trying to run, uh, off of a timer, I always feel that my reaction time, it's not my presentation or my picking up my sights. I always feel like I need to work on my reaction time, like just hearing from the beep. And moving to to the whole, to to the gun, right? And I don't know what it is, but I always feel like that's the hardest part for me to 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 work on. And so, as I, what interested me, and that's why this kind of topic interested me. So I started to you know read, and and it was it was cool to see that you can actually improve on reaction time. Um, and you know, if you're curious as to reaction time in this study uh it did uh, another study uh showed that your reaction time actually um from your dominant hand to your dominant non-dominant side is is quicker on your dominant side just everything works faster and that's why it's your dominant side that's why the visual um you know the image of your eye gets your brain first and it's a little quicker and your brain you know, favors that eye. And that's why your dominant eye is the dominant eye it is. Right. So, um, and so you can test this and it went through a little, a little kind of cool test. If people ever want to do this, you can take like a, a, a ruler and you, you hold it at a certain spot and, um, you have somebody, you know, um, tell you they're going to drop it. And when they, in the rulers in between your fingers, right. And, they're going to tell you when it's, that's going to be the go. Like I'm going to, okay, I'm going to drop it. And when they say drop, they drop it and you pinch the ruler and you try to catch it and you measure where, it, where, uh, where you stop, right? Where you catch that. And then you can also do it visually where they don't say anything and you just have to respond, uh, where it is visually. And it's an easy thing that you can do. Um, but I did it and sure enough, I mean, it bears out, um, that your, uh, it's going to be quicker when, when that auditory, uh, you know, I'm dropping it. You're always quicker. And it's just, that's just reality physiology. So it's just kind of cool. Uh, I think we, we sometimes talk about on the podcast so much technical stuff where it comes to squeezing triggers and insights and, and all, all this stuff. And that's all great, but it's cool to kind of sometimes take a step back and see like the physiological things that are going around in our body and how can we use those 
um, to shoot better or to perform better um, in, in these scenarios. And I think if you, if, if I think back, um, I know Jason Speller is huge on the physiological working, the physiology of, you know, the human body um, into drawing and shooting and moving and, and, and all these things. So you can be more, more uh, efficient. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, so uh, a couple of things that I think are going back and worth going back and addressing at greater depth. You mentioned two, two things. I think we need to just, repeat or focus on for a minute one which has come up a few times now and that is that you are faster to react to auditory stimuli than visual like that's human nature hardwiring stuff so if i want to have the best time possible on this drill i definitely would rather have a beep than a visual go signal because i'm going to be faster sure. to react to the beep that's that's just going to be a reality uh the, uh, knowing that I can I can improve both, right? And so if I work a ton on visual stimuli, I suppose in theory I could get faster at responding to visual stimuli than auditory. But by default, we're all faster. Uh, we have we have quicker reaction time to auditory go signals. The the other thing that's important here is that what you said about dominant hand. So if you did that same ruler thing and you do you know you do the demo with auditory versus visual stimuli, but then switch it and try mm-hmm. in your support hand, and you'll also notice that. You know, apples to apples, you'll also have a slower reaction time with mm-hmm. your uh, non-dominant side of your body. So I think that that's, that's something you got to think about and, and consider, right? If I really care, if I think it's important to have strong support hand shooting skills or whatever knife skills or whatever thing I got, you know, whatever I'm doing, then it probably makes sense. I have to, I have to train the support side of my body even more. Then I do my strong side if I want them to have equal reaction speeds. So, so you're, you're by default, you're faster with, with auditory than visual. By default, you're faster with strong side versus support side. And all of them can be improved if practiced. I think that's, that's a really key uh, takeaway here is that they can all be improved with practice. Now, here, here's an interesting thing. I want to go back, Matthew. We were talking about, you know, there's lots of ways to get a visual stimuli. You know, I, I can chuck the pop can. I can use a laser pointer. We can do more, you know, things that are common in our industry, moving targets, sliding targets, um, things like that. Uh, you know, you could take a class from, from Shelly and Brian Hill and do their image-based thing where they flip over a, a card with a picture on it, and you've got to make decisions and, and act. But one of the challenges with most of those things is, as firearms trainers and as students generally, we want a time. The reason we use a shot timer is because we want to time the thing. We do that because we want to be able to measure improvement over time. We want to know if you're better this week than last week. And so we need, we need some sort of measurement in order to find out if you're getting better, both in terms of the reaction time and the actual skills themselves of, of the manipulation of the tool. Um, we, we also need the time so we can compare you to industry standards and say, you know, are, are you, you know, kind of, there are you are you at a point where we consider you safe or proficient or expert or whatever and so we need a timer to do that and currently shot timers can't react to visual stimuli i can't chuck the pop can and then when i think it comes in your field of view hit go on the shot timer like that's not going to function well it's not going to be consistent when we're measuring things down to tenths and hundreds of a second we we have a breakdown there and so i'm going to give the shameless plug now and then we'll talk about some other things but 
This is one of the reasons why the range tech shot timer is cool. The range tech shot timer is the only shot timer with visual stimuli. It has a blindingly bright, like don't look directly at it, uh, green LED bulb on the front of the timer. And so there's a couple ways you could do this. If I was all by myself, I can clip the timer onto my target, send the target down range if I'm in an indoor range or you know just walk back in an outdoor range or something. And then from my device, my mobile phone, for example, um, I can set a, a start delay like any shot timer would, you know, maybe random between three and six seconds. I can hit start, set it aside, and wait. And what I'm waiting for is that green light to flash on me. And when that green light flashes, that's my go. So I am reacting purely on a visual signal. And, and this is possible with the range tech timer for two reasons. One, because it has a light, an actual visual you know, go signal, but also because I don't have to touch the button on the timer. Because it interacts with the Bluetooth mobile device, I can put the timer down range. Now, if I was with a, with you, say, for example, Matthew, I wouldn't have to go clip this on the target. Maybe I'm worried about your accuracy and I don't want you to shoot my shot timer. Sure, sure. So what I could do is instead of holding the shot timer kind of behind your head, like is traditionally done by a firearm trainer, I can almost put it like out in front of you in your field of view. I'd be like, hey, Matthew, what I want you to do, I'm going to hold this little black box out here and I want you to go when you see the green light flash. And I could do that. And I could just, you know, and I could I could hit the button on the timer. Or if I'm worried about you seeing me push the button, I could do it from the phone, right? I could just hit start. And when you see the green light flash, that's your go signal. And this gives me a way to do two things. One, it gives me a way to create visual stimuli, which, you know, there's lots of other ways to do that. We just discussed that. But two, more importantly, measure your response and skills when using visual stimuli, which I can't do with a moving target or any of those other options, a clay, a clay pigeon, any of those other things we talked about, they, there's no way to marry them to a shot timer so that I actually measure improvement. And so I think that's one of the, the big selling points of the, of the range tech shot timer. A huge point. I mean, and you can obviously quantify that because you can get your your time to first shot, right? So it doesn't matter. You could shoot 16 rounds, but that time to first shot, compare that time to first shot to your average, you know, shoot 10, 10 times using a visual stimulus of the timer and then shoot 10 times using the auditory one and take your average. And, you know, I, I would be willing to bet um, that your um, auditory time to first shot is, is, is lower. Your splits will be the same, you know, give, give or take if, if you're a consistent shooter, but like that time to first shot. And so sometimes, you know, we, we, we can get caught up a little bit too much on like, Oh, what's your, what's your draw time? You know, how, how, how quick can you draw? Um, but we really don't know what it is. We, we know what it is in an auditory stimulus, but we don't know what it is to a visual stimulus. So, um, so that is, that is a really cool thing about that timer as well as, um, I'll, I'll mention one other thing that was really, uh, a benefit to that timer is that, uh, I have sometimes students, elderly, you know, people that can't, that they have diminished hearing. So some of the people, they're like, I don't even wear, hearing protection at the range because my hearing's so bad. I just take out my hearing aids and I'm like, hold on. How about you keep your hearing aids in? And we put hearing protection. And they're like, no, I don't like hearing protection. They're just used to shooting out on their, on their property and stuff. But this is a great way to be able to have people who can't hear, um, also be able to, you know, you, you give them a stimulus because, it, you know, it's, it's hard to either, you know, say, okay, when you, when you see my hand go down or I'll, I'll, you know, hit you on the back of the arm and it's never, you know, it's never the, the, the exact time, but because that light is timed exactly to the beep, 
um, then they can get a true time of, of their, uh, of their shooting abilities. And, it, and, and it's, it's good for that. Um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you've, I'm sure you've been there. I have where you have that student, you know, you're running the drill. It's their turn. They step up to the line. You hit the button and they don't move. You know, they get the beep. And they're like, what? You're like, oh, you can't hear. And they're like, yeah, I can't hear you. They're like, no right, problem, right, right. man. Yeah. So like my go-to has always been, all right, I want you to go and I tap you on the shoulder. You know, yeah, yeah. you hold that timer and you, you, you hear the beep and you tap them, you know, it's right, like, right. It's just not a, not a perfect system. Even if you could time it perfectly every time, it's the problem is that student can't go home and replicate that. They can't right. go buy a shot timer and like hit the button and tap their hand and shoot. And uh, you know, that, that's going to be an issue. So yeah, in this case, I can give, give them the visual stimulus. I'm like, Hey, no problem. I'm going to hold this box right here. And when you see the green light, that's your go. That's, that's your go signal. And it's, you know, they're going to be at a disadvantage to the students who are, who are running off the beep because as mentioned, you, by default, most of us react faster to auditory stimulus than visual, but it's still going to give them an apples to apples for themselves, something that they can measure against in the future. And, and frankly, as mentioned, you know, we need to know how we react to, to visual stimulus. We need to practice that and we need to close that gap. Uh, it's, uh, and it's, it's kind of crazy that, you know, it's 2020 and we have like self-driving vehicles and we, you know what I mean? We have all this like crazy technology. You can control everything in your house from, you know, every light switch, every outlet in your house and automate stuff from your phone and all kinds of crazy stuff. But we have shot timers that basically have the same exact, you know, uh, guts in them or the, the same exact uh, engineering or, 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 you know, insides as they were 20 years ago. And all they do is just take a time and, and, we don't have, we, we haven't had that. So it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that as an industry that we didn't kind of push that envelope a little bit further. Yeah. I mean, the first shot timer was made in 1981 or 1982. And uh, if you saw a picture of it, you would know it looks about the same as all the shot timers have for sale today. looks like right. someone took a really small Apple IIe screen you know, compared to like your 1982 Casio watch uh, screen and stuck it on a brick. And uh, there you go. There's your shot timer. But so yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. Let's 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 think a little bit more about this, and let's talk a little bit also about the decision making process. We've we've spent a little bit of time talking about visual and auditory stimuli. Uh, to summarize, by default, you have a faster re- reaction time to auditory stimuli by training and to speed up your reaction time to auditory stimuli, you do not train up your your reaction time to visual stimuli. So they need to be practiced and trained independently. And probably reacting to visual stimuli is more valuable because it's more likely to apply in a defensive encounter. And there's lots of ways to practice uh, responding to a visual stimuli. Uh, It doesn't even have to be firearm or self-defense related at all. However, uh, when you are doing firearm-related defense and you want to react to visual stimuli, the only tool we're aware of that you can do that and still get a shot time is the range tech shot timer. So that's that would be like the summary of that discussion. Now now let's go back to the decision-making thing because – while I think Brian and Shelley are super cool, and I think it's worth t- going and taking their class, the, uh, the complete combatant and uh, image-based decision drills, there are other ways that we do try to cause students to have to make decisions while on the firing line. We have certain drills we run and things like that. So 
for example, I'm thinking of kind of a, a, a target. A lot of us have seen variations of this target where it might have circle, different shapes, right? So you got triangles and squares and circles. And, and oftentimes they also are in different colors, you know? So one of the triangles is blue and the other one's green and maybe you got yellow and red on there. And sometimes they'll also have numbers, you know? So they're numbered one through four or six or something. And so Matthew, talk a little bit about like how as fire instructors, we attempt to force cognition in, in those environments. Yeah, so we're so you're trying to get somebody to actually. I think the the what you're saying is in in the cognition is to actually formulate um a, a plan and actually take in what you're seeing and then make it affect what your output is. So it's not just I see target whatever the target is, whether it's a you know it's a uh, small child, if there's a guy holding a gun, or whatever it is, I shoot it. You know, and that's sometimes what we get into and, and when we don't um, think about, well, in a re- in reality, what what am I doing while I'm shooting the bad guy who is attacking me or shooting at me or whatever? I'm assessing, are my hits being effective? Um, you know, are they closing distance? So now I have to change my point of aim. All this stuff is going on in our heads and we're making all these calculations. But if we're all, if all we're practicing is, a a reaction to a stimulus and we draw a gun and shoot, then we don't, we're not practicing this thought process that, you know, the cognitive, cognitive part of shooting, which, you know, to go back to the, to the beginning is, is really where we start being able to make good decisions that might save our lives. You know, you look at a shooting and you say, this person did great. They, they survived the shooting. Had they moved here, they might not have had to shoot or had they done this, they might not have missed. And thank God it didn't hit this person, you know, a mile away. But, you know, had they had the uh, cognitive ability to see that they, those, uh, those shots were having effect, they wouldn't have you know, dumped a 17 rounds into this person. And now they're, you know, the, the shooting is being looked upon as being excessive or something, right? Like there's all kinds of things that could come from not being able to uh, analyze what's actually coming uh, from what you're doing. Right. And so we try to inject that um, through these, you know, call a number, call a color, uh, these types of things. And it, I, I, you know, I'm the first one to admit it. It's not the same as training decision making, um, which I referenced from from Brian and Shelley Hill. Like you should still go take that class because it's 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 a, it's a, it's an entirely different thing to be forced to make a quick decision about what am I going to do? Am I going to shoot, run, stab, jump, shine a flashlight in your face versus the decision of uh, I'm waiting for you to call out the number and you say six and I got to find the six and, and shoot it. It's different, but both both are important. I think that's the point. Is like. We need to think beyond just the skill of beep, bam, 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 right? Like, awesome. You're fast. You're accurate. That's super important. Love it. Train it. Get good at that. But what about these other things, the ability to make decisions quickly, the ability to react quickly, and the ability to think while we're shooting? And I think that's that's this new evolution of where we're kind of getting. We're adding kind of like a phase four on onto my my original like three phase thing I was talking about, and, and that is this idea of like recognizing the threat's done. I should stop shooting now. Oh, there's a second threat. I need to transition here. Oh, I'm missing. I need to you know I need to adjust my my sights or I need to you know slow down and take more precise shots. Um, you know, being able to receive information like OODA loop style, right? Process it and then, and then make cognitive changes. 
Uh, we're getting some really good comments on uh, YouTube and Facebook today as well. So I appreciate everyone who's leaving those those comments. Uh, and we're going to have to talk about force on force here in a minute because I know that's what a lot of these comments have been about. But but b- before we go there, let me let me like, give an example. Here's here's what we'll often see. Um, we'll do a drill that involves enough ammo expenditure that you're going to have to perform a reload. So, for example, like the hex drill would be a good example. And if we take like the basic simplified version of the hex drill, and the hex drill, you have a target and it's got a numbers on it. It's got six numbers, one through six. And so you you, you draw the gun, you shoot one shot on the number one, two, sh- and then or no, you <laughs> now I'm already screwing it up. You put one in the body and then you then one shot on the number one, two in the body, and then one shot on the number two, three in the body, three shots on the number three, and you can kind of get a sense for how that goes. Now here's the problem. To do this, one through six, you're going to expend, I think, 27 rounds of ammo. Now, if you're doing this with a handgun, then you're going to run out of ammunition. You're going to have to perform a reload. And since you you have to get hits, you might actually expend more than – you might have to do more than one reload uh, if you have a lot of misses. So what we'll see happen is this, is that people will, will start going through the drill – and you have to keep, you have to count. Like in your brain, you have to be counting, right? You have to go one, 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 two, one, two, one, one, two, three, three. And, and, and like in your head, you're keeping track. And generally it's somewhere during the four, you put, you know, you're putting four shots in the body that the gun will run dry. And so you dump that mag, someone reloads, they rack it. And by the way, when in this drill, when you reload, you have to move. So they have to change positions and then they're, they're stuck. They're, they don't know what to do. They're like, wait, where am I? They don't know. They're lost. They have no idea. They're like, wait, did I just, was I in the three or the four in the body? The number, like they, they're like, someone's got to tell them. Like the instructor at that point is like, you have two more in the body and then shoot the number four. And like, oh, okay, pop, pop, you know, then they go. And that's, that's often what we see happen. We'll see that freeze moment because the cognitive stack gets overloaded, right? Be- like I was able to keep track when this was all I was doing. But when I have to perform a reload, and that requires a certain amount of conscious you know, thought it's not autom- it's not automatic. So I have to think about what I'm doing in that reload. Now that part of my, you know, the, the ability to pay attention to where I was in the, in the sequence of fire, it's gone. I've overwhelmed it. It's dropped out the bottom of the, of the stack. And I do no idea where I'm at, right? I'm lost. Um, there's a comment here on YouTube from eat shoots and leaves tactical. And he says, the hex drill threw me off so bad. The first time I tried it, I shot the wrong target. <laughs> um, and, and so and there's a lot of another one is the chaos drill this is one that's from kyle lamb and uh, this drill you you have five targets lined up and the sequence of fire is just one shot per but you you shoot targets in the following order target one target two target one target three target one target four target one target five target one target four one three one two one and you and if you're going to probably hit a reload there when you do same thing's going to happen you're like crap where was i <laughs> so so Matthew, like talk a little bit about that, how how we observe that and and how someone can train that and work on that and why it matters. Yeah, and and I'll I'll mention each shoots and leaves like he mentioned, you know, threw threw him off and and he shot the wrong target. He actually I I, I mean I happen to I, I don't know him personally, but I, I you know I follow his page and stuff and he shoots a lot and he practices a lot and for him to say that is you know, and he says it's, it's, it's humble. It was humbling to, to realize that. And I think that that's the point, right? Like that's the point is that, um, we don't know what we don't know until we put ourselves in that, that moment where everything falls apart. And it's awesome when it happens on the range because that's great. You know, you, you, you can walk away from the range. Um, but if we don't know and we get in that comfort zone, and this is one of those things where I try to, 
um, talk to shooters and say, don't, you know, you, you, you put a shooter on a timer, they'll shoot a, they'll shoot a bill drill and their time is really good, but their point of aim is just, you know, an inch outside the circle. And they're like, Oh, I suck. I didn't get any in the, in the zone. Uh, I got all these misses and, but I had a great time, right. You know, they had a good, good raw score, but with all the misses, it's just, it's a, it's a high score. And you're like, look, and they beat themselves up. And it's like, look, it's it's the fun, it's the process of getting these things under control so you can you can you can respond and you can react appropriately um if your if your natural point of aim is you know 36 of an inch outside the hit zone okay great you know you, you you didn't score well on on the on the on the drill but what are you learning in the drill well you're learning how to respond uh, un- under pressure, you're learning how to control the recoil. You're 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 doing these things. So I think um, it's when we put ourselves in these these situations where we do get reach that cognitive stack, or we do reach a moment where um, when we do a reload, it takes so much thought process that we forget our round count. So you know, then that means, well, I need to work on my reload a little bit to make it more automated, so I can free up my mind. To not focus on grab magazine index, blah, 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 but I can focus my mind on, okay, I need to shoot number four or I need to move to cover or whatever it might be. So um, that's why I think it's so important to train. Um, and, you know, we kind of come, come back to this kind of reoccurring thing is those are the things that you don't, you can't replicate if you just go to the range, you shoot a box of 50 rounds, slow fire at a target, and you blow out the center of it and you say, great, I'm good to go. And you just haven't um, ever put yourself in a, 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 even close to understanding what it takes to think and shoot. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're, we've been having a great time talking about this. I think my last thought on this topic, and then we, we may be out of time, is about force on force. And so force on force training or shoot, don't shoot training uh, which are, they're different things, but I think that they both really help you train through this entire process we're describing, right? Making a decision about what to do, uh, improving response time after that decision has been made, performing the skill of, of, of whatever the decision was, shooting or running or punching or whatever it might be. And then fourth, uh, interpreting that information in front of you and continuing to receive it and quickly make you know, cognitive decisions about what to do next. And so I'd encourage you to look for those opportunities. When I, when I say shoot, don't shoot, that could be a lot of things, but it, it might be as simple as, as simple as finding like a lot of these organizations are starting to pop up that have classrooms uh, where you can go and they just have a simulator. You're just standing in front of a simulator. You're getting some sort of video-based scenario and you're reacting with some sort of, you know, replica training, maybe laser type gun. And that's, that's, that's giving you that opportunity to do a lot of those things. Often there's no physical movement. You're just kind of static. And you, sometimes those situations get kind of predictable because there's no human element. It's video, but it's still a good, a good step in the right direction. And then force on force. If you can ever sign up for or take a class that includes force on force, uh, sometimes those are using like simunitions, UTM rounds. Uh, sometimes it's airsoft. Most of the time when we, when we teach that kind of thing, we're using airsoft, uh, because it's the most affordable you know, right. means to do it. But those are also opportunities where, all of that is happening and it's happening where two people are doing it together. Sometimes more than two, maybe it's a larger group, but both of you are trying to make decisions based on the other person's reactions. You're trying to shorten the reaction time. You're trying to be as you know, fast and accurate uh, as you go. And then you're trying to determine what the next course of action is. So those are probably like the, the epitome of this, this, 
conversation we're having is those opportunities to train and practice are are the best places to work on all these things we're talking about. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't say it better. Uh, I'll, I'll second force on force is probably the single best thing that can help you, you know, uh, understand the dynamics that goes into uh, a self-defense shooting or, or, or self-defense, whatever shooting fight, you know, running out of there, whatever it is. Um, force on force is awesome. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yep. Yep. All right, guys, that's it for us today. Remember this episode is sponsored by the range tech shot timer. You can learn more at rangetechtimer.com. The only shot timer on the market that a, you can put down range of the shooters and still activate it from behind the firing line. And the only shot timer on the market that will give you a visual go signal and still give you an accurate shot time. So please consider that the shot timer as of this recording, it sells for 75 bucks. It's the cheapest shot timer in the market by more than 30. It's more than 30% cheaper than the next closest shot timer in price. So please check that out at rangetechtimer.com. We really appreciate you being here with us today. If you have any feedback about this or other uh, episodes, please send us an email podcast at concealedcarry.com. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Remember, train right, train often, train safe, so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.